This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm just giving you guys senior writer Al Castle. Going to be joined in a few moments here by my co-host Brian Solomon. And we have got a lot to cover because we are going to be discussing the 2021 PWI Achievement Awards. Um, they're available in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It is the big year-end uh, issue, one of the biggest of the year, where you, the PWI readers, uh, vote on what was the best of wrestling in 2021. Uh, we are, of course, talking wrestler of the year, match of the year, woman of the year, tag team of the year, feud of the year, rookie of the year, and on and on. Uh, some of you uh, might have gotten the opportunity to listen to uh, Kevin McElvaney uh, and I uh, discuss this on uh, the latest episode of AEW's Unrestricted podcast. That was a lot of fun, and uh, Brian and I are going to be going even more in-depth on all of the awards uh, in just a few moments, and uh, a little preview. Uh, Brian and I don't agree with each other on a lot of these, and uh, we certainly don't agree with a lot of the voters on a lot of these, but that's kind of the fun of this issue. It's not uh, the PWI staff, as we do with PWI 500 and some of the other issues that are making the picks. It is you, the PWI uh, readers, and uh, you had some interesting uh, picks this year. You, you may know by now AEW did very, very well uh, in the awards uh, this year. Uh, Brian and I talk about that uh, a bit and what it says about where AEW is uh, relative to WWE and everybody else. Um, so stay tuned. A really fun, uh, long-form discussion uh, with me and Brian. And at the tail end of it, we also talk about uh, another uh, big kind of institution in wrestling. It is the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, they just announced uh, their latest class. Um, Brian and I both have an opportunity to uh, vote on the Hall of Fame. And we talk about our thoughts about who got in, who didn't get in, and maybe uh, what, if any, changes uh, are called for in um, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame voting. I know Dave Meltzer over there has been considering some changes. Brian, in particular, had some thoughts on some changes he'd like to see. Uh, and I think they're absolutely worth listening to. So stay tuned to hear about those. Right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It is the April 2022 issue, uh, the Achievement Awards issue, the year in wrestling. We've got uh, stars from AEW on the front and back cover. Uh, because, uh, as I mentioned, almost a clean sweep for uh, AEW. They did exceedingly well this year. And uh, inside uh, the magazine, um, it is a fantastic uh, look back on 2021, a real memorable historic year uh, in wrestling. Uh, in addition to all the awards, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Harry Brooklyn and I uh, compiled the top 10 stories uh, of the year. Um, we've got the unofficial official awards that are put together by you, the readers. Always good for some laughs. I know Chris Jericho is a big fan of those. Uh, a lot of photos that uh, you haven't seen uh, before, exclusive here to the uh, year-end uh, issue. Uh, what else we have here? We've got compilation of all the title changes, all the big title changes in wrestling over 2021. Uh, as I said, 2021 year in photos, uh, memories of 2021 from the PWI staff, our, our in-memoriam um, section, looking at some wrestlers who we lost and personalities that we lost in 2021, and uh, the 2021 uh, year in quotes, some of the more memorable things said 
uh, throughout the year. So uh, again, there's a handful of issues that even if you're not a PWI collector, I think people make it a point to buy uh, every year and and uh, that was certainly the case when you know when I was a uh, in high school or or younger than that and only had a couple of bucks to buy uh, wrestling magazines. I was sure to get the 500 and I was sure to get uh, the year end issue. So don't miss yours. Go to pwi-online.com. Order it now. You can download it right away. Uh, the digital edition or uh, order it and have it delivered to your home. And of course, uh, the smart, wise thing to do is to go ahead and subscribe and get deep, deep savings uh, over the cover price and get up to half off. So go do that at the uh, new and redesigned pwi-online.com. How's it going? Going pretty well, Al. Happy to be here with you once again. Absolutely. And we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, one of the biggest issues of the PWI calendar, the uh, year-end achievement awards uh, issue uh, is out. Uh, Kevin and I got to talk about it on the AEW Unrestricted uh, podcast, which was a lot of fun. And uh, no surprise that they'd, they'd want to have us on to talk about it because it was almost a clean sweep for, for uh, AEW. And, and we've talked about, you know, some of the, I don't know if a hate, but but cer- certainly like uh, suspicion we get some friends, fans who think <laughs> that, you know, we're, we're in cahoots with AEW. This probably isn't going to, you know, help that perception much. But different than, than the 500 or the women's 150 or anything else, this these are the readers. This, this isn't us. What does it tell you that AEW um, did as well as it did this year? I think... You know, it, it's it's really the the seal of approval as far as I'm concerned. You know, look, here's the thing. People could say that the magazine is biased. I mean, if you actually look at our magazine from month to month, you can clearly see that's not true. I mean, the issue before we had the WWE then world champion Big E on our cover with a big interview. Uh, this is a vote by the readership. I think some of the doubt may come from people thinking that we just made it all up and that the vote mm-hmm. is not legitimate. The vote, however, is legitimate, and this is the way that people voted. Um, people have made their choice. Look, um, w, the WWE product, I think, by and large, I mean, yeah, the company is more profitable, is still the most profitable company in the business right now. But the 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 positive momentum right now is with AEW. And, and I think with a lot of – especially a lot of the more kind of serious fans, the kind of people that – that read pro wrestling illustrated the kind of people that, you know, maybe subscribe to the wrestling observer and things like that. Those people right now, given a choice between the two companies, they're preferring AEW. That that's, that's the way it is. And this, this is a clear endorsement in my mind. You know, it, it's kind of funny because it reminds me in a way uh, back in the day for longtime readers, there were a lot of people that felt that back in the day that PWI was in the pocket of, you know, WCW or right. was in the pocket of Jim Crockett promotions before that. And it was, you know, b- because they part of the reason for that is they they gave the magazine more access, but it didn't mean that, you know, there was a preference one way or the other. Uh, I think we're seeing something similar like that today because AEW is more open. I'm not saying this is why they won their awards, but AEW is more open to participation with outside groups, whether it be wrestling promotions or wrestling publications. You know, PWI has been acknowledged on the air in the past. I'll just put it this way. I think here's the difference. If WWE swept the awards in the same way, 
there isn't a chance. I mean, Al, if you disagree with me on this, let me know. But there isn't a chance in hell that there would be a segment on it devote, devoted to it on Monday Night Raw. I mean, would you agree with that? I, I would agree, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, AEW has got that connection to a certain kind of fan in a way that WWE uh, doesn't, which, as you touched on, doesn't mean that um, they, they are bigger or more popular than WWE uh, in, in any way. I mean, you just look at the numbers. That's not the case right now. Uh, but uh, th- they are extending that olive branch in a way that WWE doesn't. And WWE doesn't have to, right? I mean, b- because they they are, um, you know, the the, the standard bearer uh, in in the wrestling business. And and yeah, I was before you said that, I was thinking about this was WCW in 1995, 1996. It was ECW to some uh, uh, extent. It was TNA in the the mid 2000s. They're new. They're different. They're the alternative. Um, I, I would argue that that AEW in some ways is better than all of those, um, and and in some ways not. But it, it's not just that they're new and then they're alternative. Um, it, it's that they're doing really really well. Um, all that said, I don't agree with with some of these uh, awards. I mean, if I was voting, uh, I, I would not have voted um, as as the fans did, at least on some of these awards. Uh, but but that's sort of the good thing about this is that we get a little bit of cover on it, and and it's not us. It it's you and. Um, you being uh, the readers, uh, but but it yeah I don't think you can argue right now that what this says as you touched on is that AEW has the momentum, um, WWE is yeah, as much as they they might scoff at this they are kind of traditional corporate wrestling they're they're the the brand and uh, AEW is is knocking on the door um, and I think are more incentivized to to even not that they're they're doing anything that they're doing to win these awards but um they are trying to get on that radar so i i think they're more incentivized to put on something that will look like the match of the year or the feud of the year or the faction of the year and as you touched on and it's a real problem for for wwe uh and we've talked about uh here wwe's current business structure um almost disincentivizes them from from doing uh uh anything like this right i mean it 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 kind of doesn't make a difference i mean they their tv ratings fall to all-time lows and they have a record a quarter for for profits um so uh you know forever vince mcmahon has has tried to draw the distinction of what he does and what wwe does and what other wrestling companies do, and, and that being the argument why they're not really wrestling. And um, for for better or for worse, that might be more true now than, than ever before. I mean, the business models are so different right now between WWE and AEW and really any other wrestling company. Yeah, and, and AEW, in a lot of ways, they I think we've talked about this before, but they sort of seem to, and I think Tony Khan in particular, they see themselves as almost like the inheritors of WCW in a way. Right. Like they are... Uh, carrying on in a different form <laughs> what WCW was. And it's kind of weird because even in the sense of being um, the the company that, that gives more access to wrestling magazines, the company that acknowledges uh, outside, you know, things because WCW and Crockett and, and other wrestling companies too, I, I think uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling did this where they, they acknowledged 
PWI. I mean, you can look this up. I, w- I was watching an old, because this is what I do, I was watching an old episode of AWA All-Star Wrestling from the late 80s randomly the other day, and Bill Apter shows up with the big Pro Wrestling Illustrated sign behind him, you know, interviewing people, and, and they had similar segments on other shows. The fact of the matter is that, that WWF at the time and WWE today doesn't allow things like that. They don't do things like that. In fact, I would have to say, you know, of course, in the last 20 years or so, their involvement even with with Pro Wrestling Illustrated has probably been better than it ever was before in terms of like cooperation and things like that. But it, but it's all behind the scenes. It's almost never, you know, front and center in the product. So, of course, it creates the illusion, I think, that, um, you know, we are owned by or in the pocket of the other wrestling company that when that is. Simply not the case. Absolutely not the case. I can tell you now from being on the inside of it, it's not the case at all. It's just the reality of the way that the business is right now. You know, we we had um, we we caught similar flack when we put Kenny Omega as the top of of PWI 500. We had our reasons for that. I mean, it was very, very close. And a lot of people disagreed and, you know, versus him versus Roman Reigns. Um, When you're looking at 2021 especially from a kayfabe perspective, uh, that was our consensus view. Um, You know, it it just, I think people are looking in the wrong direction. They're interpreting it the wrong way. And a lot of it's coming maybe from extreme WWE loyalists. But, you know, rather than interpreting it as, oh, wow, this is a sea change in the business and this is a symptom of what's going on. This is reflective of what's happening in the business their immediate knee-jerk reaction is, oh, well, we're distorting the truth clearly and we're we're trying to give more uh, press or more attention to one company over the other. And, and I think you have to it, – it, it, it takes flawed logic, I think, to make that leap, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and you touched on the, the WWE loyalists, and it's worth pointing out, I mean, there's no shortage – of them uh sometimes i'm I'm surprised this goes back to conversation we had after um wrestlemania 36 the uh, the um the firefly funhouse match where yeah. i felt so safe just saying well this is absolute garbage and was bombarded by the WWE loyalists uh on on social media who loved it and it was kind of eye-opening for me and um they they obviously exist in huge numbers. They might not necessarily be the kind of people who are reading PWI or listening to certain podcasts or reading um, certain newsletters. Um, and look, you could be a fan of of whatever you you want to be. Obviously, I sometimes think that, and this doesn't even just go for WWE. This really goes for for any wrestling company company and really anything. When you are so blindly blindly loyal um, to something um, that that you can't see uh, wrong in anything they do you're, you're doing them a disservice so uh, I, I sometimes you know wonder when when i see wwe put on uh and again i shouldn't even pick on wwe because this goes for for anybody i mean, you see I mean for, a, yeah aew has had their fair share of head scratching uh stinkers right. and too, you can do no clearly. wrong i mean right. uh, let's put aside the firefly funhouse match that that other match with um and and look, I got to go back a couple of years to to even think of these. So so maybe that points to WWE doing something a little bit better over the last year or so. But but remember the uh, the Braun Strowman um, Bray Wyatt. You know, there, there's kind of a consistent thread through these match in in a swamp that ended with Bray Wyatt being drowned in in the river. Um, to me, if you're going to defend that, I just feel like you're sort of just objectively wrong, and and uh, <laughs> you're you're hurting 
uh, wrestling and you're hurting WWE by by defending this and encouraging them to but that put that kind of product uh, out there. Um, I don't know. I guess we're we're a well, little bit. Uh, all, all I think. No, I, I just want to say one more thing before we moved on. Is I think part of it is the result of of training. You know, wrestling companies they train their audiences, and yeah. you have a viewership of WWE view, viewership that's been trained a certain way. I mean, if you look at it this way, for for close to twenty years, you had. Uh, a wrestling company completely dominating the entire industry that would never acknowledge, let's say, a wrestling magazine, an outside wrestling magazine on television ever. So that became the standard, the norm, that became the expectation. It was not like that before WWE's dominance of the industry in that way. So now that the dominance is no longer total and you have another company that behaves in the way that wrestling companies behaved before, which is acknowledging PWI and other wrestling magazines. It seems odd to these trained fans. It seems like uh, payola when, when really this is just kind of normal. This is the way that, that industries the wrestling industry and others uh, operate normally. It's just that WWE never did things this way. And so, so these fans have just been trained to expect certain things, I think. Yeah. And part of it, uh, again, not to go too off topic here, but you know, the, the, the whole notion of, uh, the, the forbidden door and, um, to not to say that, that pro wrestling illustrator or any other publication is necessarily part of that. But I do think that over the last few years, there's been a, a fostering of the wrestling community, the, the greater wrestling community with wrestling companies and um, uh, media and magazines and conventions and podcasts all working together. And uh, really, WWE has kind of always been the odd man, odd man out uh, on that, uh, I think, by by their own choice. And, and I sort of get it. You know, they, they, they are on a different level. Um, they don't need to be uh, involved in that. Uh, but I do wonder whether, uh, you know, I did an interview with, with Diana Peraza that's coming up for the issue uh, after this one where, where we um, talked about uh, some of these issues and, and uh, the Royal Rumble's coming up uh, this weekend and uh, Mickey James is on it, you know, the uh, the Impact uh, uh, Knockouts Women Champion. So you do wonder if if, if maybe... They're starting to dip their toe in this a, uh, a little, you know, and 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 maybe um, realizing some of the benefits of of embracing the pro wrestling community rather than sort of rejecting it for so long. Um, so uh, we'll see. But let, let's jump into the the awards before we, we get too far off here, uh, and and let's start right with uh, uh, the big one and one. Frankly, uh, you know, I just mentioned before, I don't agree with this. Um, the wrestler of the year with 37% of the votes is Kenny Omega, as uh, voted on by the PWI readers. Um, first runner-up, uh, Roman Reigns at 25%. Big drop-off to a second runner-up, Bianca Belair, uh, 4%. Big E also uh, 4%, so I guess they'd be tied. Um, you know, I think some of this has to do with timing. And uh, just because of kind of the publication cycle, I, I guess people would be voting for this uh, October, November, uh, something like that. And I forget when he lost the title, but it was around, uh, Kenny Omega it is, uh, around that time. And so you had at least, you know, a month, six weeks at the end of the year, you know, where in, in my mind, Roman, it, it was kind of um, uh, a neck and neck race. And I think Roman did enough to um, edge out Omega in kind of calendar year uh, 2021, uh, just recently, you know, broke the record 500 plus days as Universal Champion. 
has beat everybody in front of him, you know, in, in late November, uh, did the same with um, uh, Big E and has just kept on winning, 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 doing. He is the reason to watch WWE. Um, and uh, Omega was fantastic. The first two thirds, three quarters uh, of, of the year, you know, certainly earned taking some time off, but but did take some time off uh, late in the year. I, mean, I guess it was only maybe the last month or so of 2021 uh but to me it was enough for for uh reigns maybe to get the edge fans disagreed uh, uh where are you on that um i think yeah uh, i'm with you on that because it makes a big difference the evaluation period right versus the calendar year so in the evaluation period and we talked about our reasons why be you know especially from uh, a kayfabe point of view that the titles that he's won the unifications talking about kenny omega and how could you not rank him number one when he, you know, he, he was holding three different world titles at the same time. But if we're looking at right calendar year, pretty much, I know the voting happens in, in the middle of fall, but especially now that the year's behind us, if we're looking at calendar year, then yes, uh, Roman Reigns is the choice with a, in a lot of metrics, especially if you're going just beyond, if, if you're going beyond that unification stuff, um, he really is the he's the he's the number one draw in the business. And, you know, the the last Wrestling Observer that, that just came out just had kind of a breakdown of all these top uh, drawing cards of each respective year, basically going back, you know, uh, like a hundred and some odd years. And and you're looking at it and Roman Reigns really it, it demonstrates that he is the top draw in the business. And not only that, but he's clearly the biggest draw in terms of a needle mover that I know he, he has that shirt that says yeah. that. But but it that WWE has produced and in some ways that wrestling period has produced since John Cena, um, which is a big deal because we were always looking for who was going to be that next person. And they kept saying it was him and it never quite seemed to pan out and, and now it has, but it, not in the way that people expected. But I think, uh, you know, to your point, um, there is a big difference between the PWI 500 period and voting for the wrestler of the year 2021. And, and, and if I were voting on that, I also would have voted for Roman Reigns. Yeah, the, the the tricky thing also is, I mean, with with the 500, you have a 12 month period because of the publication schedule with the achievement awards. You really don't because you're not going to pick anything that happened, obviously, at the very end of 2020. I mean, you're looking at the calendar year 2021, but just inevitably, you've got to leave off kind of anything that happens in that last month. And And it's not that Roman had some particularly great, you know, December, but he had a December where he um, kept on picking up wins and, and you know, being the top guy in, in all of wrestling. And Kenny Omega um, was kind of sitting it out. So I th- I think it was enough. I might argue that even without it, uh, Roman did enough. Um, you know, you, you talk about him being uh, the biggest draw. And, and that's one thing. Uh, the reality is that for, for a lot of that time, he was uh, the biggest draw because he was put in that position, but was not doing big draw work. He is now the, the 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 biggest draw, and I'd argue, and I think most people argue, by far the best act in in WWE uh, in many years. I mean, he's just uh, so pitch perfect. Uh, the whole bloodline uh, stuff, the stuff with Heyman, uh, it it is it it really sticks out so much in, in WWE. I mean, it, it's the reason uh, to watch. And, and it's the one thing kind of um, that's got me sort of excited about whatever the next big show is, Royal Rumble, 
WrestleMania is, you know, what, what are they going to do with Roman? Right. And, and he seems to be on the verge. I mean, this Seth Rollins feud, I mean, anybody feuding with Seth Rollins, the heel Seth Rollins is going to wind up going babyface just because he is, there's nothing likable about him, but he seems to be on the verge of becoming that kind of cool heel that winds up getting eventually turned. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I also, tricky. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm saying I think that's a fair point, and and, and it's and, and now they've had a, a kind of a few in a row. You know, I think when you look to as short lived as it was, the the Biggie Roman feud, I feel like they didn't get enough uh, out of that, and it's because it was Survivor Series and this kind of this gimmicky one off, um, you know, brand versus brand. But it it was um, it it was a different kind of setup, having like the real hot beloved babyface. Um, against Roman in that heel role, and they, and they need more of that. And that's one thing maybe that's missing in this Brock Lesnar feud um, going into WrestleMania is uh, I don't know who the babyface and who the heel is isn't that. And I would like to see uh, Roman in a high-stakes match against somebody who is really beloved. That's a whole other problem in WWE because I don't know that they have that guy. That's true. I mean, like you said, he is far and away the most interesting thing about WWE television right now. And I also am getting the sense finally, and I can't really quantify this. It's just one of those things just from being online and talking to people and stuff. I'm getting the sense that he is now starting to break through in the way that Cena did in terms of being more of like of the mainstream culture kind of being aware of him. Now that yeah. he's been on top of WWE for so long, I'm getting the sense of, you know, he's no longer just somebody that wrestling fans know about, which was the knock on him for a while. I think he's breaking through. The, the catch point to that, as with Cena, is that the more that happens, the more inevitably you're pulled away from WWE, right? I mean, um, uh, Cena was, was called out The Rock for years and years about this, and that's what their whole feud was built about, and now... Uh, yeah, not to the, the same extent, but largely the same extent. Cena's done just that. He's left him to be for Hollywood. So, um, yeah, I can absolutely see. I re- he's already kind of dipped his foot in, in, in those waters with that um, Fast and Furious spinoff he did with The Rock. And but in fairness, presence, you know, in fairness to Cena, though, I have to say that the difference there, and I'm sure he'd point this out, is that he basically spent his entire career or the yes. prime of his wrestling career in wrestling before he made the transition, the rock just kind of dipped after like two or three years. He just, (laughs) he was right on the verge. I wouldn't even say that he peaked. Honestly, he probably had amazing stuff ahead of him. He got out of there. Uh, I don't even, God, was he even 30? I mean, he was basically, I think he was 31 or not even 31 when he had the WrestleMania 19 match with Austin, which was sort of like the ceremonial, you know, end of his like full time with career with WWE. I mean, there were political reasons for him wanting to get out early. I mean, he was not he didn't start out as the number one movie star in the world by far. If you look at the early movies that he was making, it wasn't like, oh, my God, how could I resist, you know, doing the Scorpion King 17 and things like that. But um, there were reasons why he left early. But but that is to Cena's credit, and and he has that on his side that he could say, yeah, I didn't just like become a Hollywood star. I waited until I felt like I had done all I wanted to do in wrestling. So that is a big difference between the two of them, Rock and Cena. Yeah, and he has set up until recently that he he's far from done in WWE, and we obviously saw him work a little bit over the summer, and and sounds like 
when schedule allows for it, he, he intends on coming back. Uh, I, I want to move to women of the year, but I, I don't want to spend all the time um, talking uh, about the runners up in, in the roster of the year. So let's talk a little bit about Kenny Omega and, and the year he, he did have. And uh, it was an, an incredible year. I mean, for, uh, you know, we talked a lot about this when he he was uh, number one in the 500. But you remember those matches with, with Okada and his New Japan run where he really um, – got that reputation for being the best in the world and then came over, helped um, build AEW and one of the co-founders. But don't, I don't want to say he took that first year or so off, but he, he um, I don't know if it was intentional or, or, or not. I think he suggested it kind of was. He did take a step back, let other people take the limelight, worked in, in tags um, with Adam Page and lost a lot of matches and didn't have you know, those those world class five star, six star plus matches that he was doing before in AEW. 2021 were, was the year where he um, revisited that. There's a question whether uh, the, the toll that, you know, I, I touched on that, that at the end of the year, he had to take some time off. He's still not back. And and um, I, I think wrestling at that pace clearly is, has taken a toll on him. But but what about Kenny Omega, the 2021 he had? Um, and what did it mean for AEW? I think that he, you know, what he did was probably wise because there was a lot of expectation that it was going to be the opposite. I think to a certain extent, the Young Bucks did the same thing. We saw Cody Rhodes did this, and in a way, he sort of like permanently exiled himself from the main event because he was thinking that, well, this is what people are going to expect. And uh, yeah, you, but you always knew with Omega that they were, I mean, at least I, I did, I don't know, that they were eventually going to pull the trigger with him. They just wanted to sort of give it a chance to breathe first. And um, and now, you know, look, I mean, they're back to really, now you've got Omega, I mean, um, you've got Hangman Page as the champion, you have new, you know, fresh matchups, you got Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson coming in, CM Punk. Interesting things happening. So you you can't really say, and this is to their credit, that it's just – and I know this is people who like to criticize AEW. They'll say this. You can't really say that it's just a bunch of buddies just running roughshod with a big vanity project and doing whatever they feel like. And, you know, there have been times where I've been a little critical of decisions they've made creatively, but um, I, I don't think an objective – viewer can really say that about that company. I think they've really been patient and careful about how they've done it. I mean, 2021 was a banner year for that company for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know for, I mean, I don't know if it was Omega's best year. I guess it couldn't be when, when you think back to those uh, new Japan years, but no, right. The, the, the best one he had in AEW for sure. And and I yeah. think you can't, you can't overlook the fact that, uh, there's a lot of American fans that are not as plugged in on the Japanese right. scene. And so to them, uh, this was definitely his biggest year because they may only have known him for the last two or three years, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, in terms of his career, his case, uh, he's already in the wrestling Observer hall of fame, but yes. if, if he wasn't, I don't guess. get me started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you touched on it. I mean, he was the defending <laughs> AEW impact and AAA a world champion, uh, simultaneously, uh, an incredible feat. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, anybody who voted for him for wrestler of the year, it, it's hard to to argue, you know, that they were way off. Um, so uh, absolutely a, a good candidate. I think a fine choice. Um, Woman of the year. This is another uh, interesting one. It went to uh, Britt Baker, 
who uh, did better than anybody else in these uh, awards. Uh, I'll mention now, she also has uh, Most Improved Wrestler of the Year and uh, Match of the Year. I want to touch on that one uh, in, in a moment. Uh, to me, again, not to spend <laughs> all, all of uh, our time talking about who who didn't win these uh, awards, uh, but the first runner-up, uh, Bianca Belair, at 24%. I feel strongly that this, sh- not, not that, that this is wrong, I, I actually think it's the right choice, but this should have been her year. Um, I think that, and I think she, I don't want to say run away with it, but I think she should have been, um, if handled right, the the clear winner for this. Uh, I'm still sort of baffled, perplexed by why WWE did what they did uh, at SummerSlam, cutting the legs off uh, from under her if if they didn't. And it's not even necessarily um, that she lost that title, uh, but the way she did and how she was handled afterwards uh, I think needlessly uh, again just just killed her momentum. You, you think back to how special WrestleMania was with Bianca uh, in in the main event celebrating her title uh, the first night, and um, that after a run like that, somebody else could beat her uh, is nuts. But um, Britt did have a fantastic year. You know, I, I, maybe I don't even know if I need to say uh, maybe, but but the breakout star of AEW in um 2021 and and arguably the breakout star of of all of wrestling i i guess that speaks to her uh, winning most improved but uh you know this time in 2020 um you know she was somebody who was clearly uh ambitious and had uh, a certain something you know uh, uh in an appeal uh, a charisma but still very unpolished was kind of trying to in real time figure out this character work it out uh on tv uh and in 2021 uh just absolutely uh clicked and she she became a, a reason to watch AEW. The segments um, that she was uh, was in uh, were were always super entertaining. Her work uh, in, in the ring got much much better. As you know, uh, her her uh, match of the year award is a testament to that. Uh, but but what do you think about uh, Britt winning a Woman of the Year? And what do you think about uh, Bianca not winning it? Well, I think it's great that she won. I, I actually wanted her as number one for the women's 150. I think we would have really gotten killed if we if we had yeah, just a clean sweep of everything as AEW. But but yeah, the the Bianca Belair thing is really really frustrating, and I'm honestly now with a little hindsight, I'm starting to wonder if, from a political point of view, now that we've seen everything that's been going down with with Triple H and NXT and triple you know Triple H just being cut off at the knees in this shocking way, and people. Are, his his kind of inner circle just being swept away and all this. I'm wondering if maybe her association with him as a recent NXT product, and granted, Becky Lynch is an, is an NXT product as well, but much Bianca Belair is much more recently. I'm wondering if, if some of the skepticism around Triple H, and this is pure speculation on my part, and around his recent NXT products may have um hurt her in some way perception wise in the same way i remember years back when i worked at wwe people like cm punk who became uh, supported by paul Heyman, <laughs> would become buried for political yeah. reasons because of that i'm wondering I, again pure speculation if that was part of it maybe vince or and or kevin dunn or whoever were skeptical about her and we're we're sort of humoring Triple H and then pulled the plug when, when things started to change. I mean, again, I have no 
proof of that at all, but I'm trying to explain it in some way because it just makes no sense. And yeah, I mean, the trajectory she was on, she should have won this award. But if you're looking at the actual year and, and what really did happen, then it's got to go to Britt Baker. I right. mean, yeah, she's the biggest star in AEW right now, I would say. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, in terms of who's over with the with the fans, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the responding to, to your take on the Bianca Belair thing, I don't think that's the case for a, a few reasons. Uh, one of them is that uh, on paper, she checks so many of the boxes that you think Vince McMahon would want in a top star. She's she's super athletic, uh, charismatic, strong. Um, and I, I, I do think that so much of it was the opportunity to bring back Becky Lynch. And as great as Bianca is, I think they saw it. Well, Becky is is our biggest woman female star ever, ever. Um, and uh, the the and the other the other thing that happened at SummerSlam was that Sasha Banks wasn't able to to perform there. So you know we've talked about this in uh, uh, in the last few weeks when when Brock was put in um, the the main event of the last pay per view and won the world title. When when you have uh, to do a substitute uh, that way, the thinking often is we got to give them something even bigger than what they were going to have. And I think their thought was, well, if we can't give them Sasha versus Bianca in a rematch, let's have Becky come back and win the title. On paper, that might sound good, but I, I don't think that they considered the what they were doing to one of their top stars um, or, or didn't consider it uh, well enough. And again, I, I don't want to kind of overstate things. It's not like Bianca's been uh, buried since then, but uh, she was on pace to having uh, the kind of year she did not have uh, because of that decision. Um, so uh, we, we touched on uh, Brett winning match of uh, the year against thunder rosa i gotta say again i don't i don't agree with this one um a, a fantastic match a a historic women's match in a lot of ways this was the the lights out uh no holds barred kind of bloodbath between uh brit and thunder uh, rosa that was uh early in the year uh you know a spectacle and uh, a lot of fun not my pick for for match of the year i gotta say i'm not positive what my match of the year would be I, I, for what it's worth, the, the first runner-up, uh, Young Bucks and Lucha Bros, um, in in a cage. Um, second, uh, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks at, at WrestleMania, a really special match. Um, and then Walter and uh, Dragunov. Um, this would be the rematch. Uh, is this the rematch or is this the the first match? This had to be the rematch. Yeah, this was um, yes, the, the rematch, rematch. On, on Takeover, which was when, when Dragunov won. When when yeah, when he I won, mean, yeah. Um, a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's in uh, the other vote getters. It is. I think it's the first one mentioned. I think my match of the year, maybe I'm biased because I was there, but it's also there for Bianca and Sasha Banks, uh, Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. Uh, I, I think being the main event of, of WrestleMania is always going to give you a little more uh, of a boost. I think that match was built really well. It was uh, Again, I talk about for like a not necessarily that this was a five star match, but I think to be a five star match, you have to have a lot of the pieces in place beyond what you just do in the ring in terms of uh, uh, the the context, kind of the historical context of the match. And WWE's first show in front of an audience in in more than a year, uh, two nights of WrestleMania. uh, And uh, there was, I think, an emotion to the event because fans were back together for the first time in a long time. And uh, a a terrific match. I mean, that match absolutely lived up to my my expectations. I think some people kind of forget about how good it was. Uh, so to me, 
again, that checked all the boxes. I think that would be my match of the year. Um, but even if, if it wasn't, I, I think you could make a better case for the each of the runners up here um, above uh, what would ultimately want it with 22% of Brit and Thunder Rosa, uh, which it was a blast uh, to watch. I I don't know, maybe I, I, I'm always uneasy about kind of rewarding, um, and, and not to sound too much like uh, uh, Nick Conner, Vince McMahon here, but rewarding blood and guts too much, you know? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, and and it might it might seem a little more shocking uh, because it's a women's match and only because you you don't see blood as often in a women's match. I personally didn't have a problem with it, I, but I think the the issue that I have, well, it's not really an issue. Uh, it just points to how many. This was a year of really great matches. I mean, really solid contenders. There's so many. Um, I would not have voted for the Thunder Rosa uh, uh, Britt Baker match uh, as um, as match of the year. I could think of three matches as as I was thinking about this that I would easily vote ahead of it. If I had to pick one, and again, this is maybe partly because I was there, <laughs> and I think it got hurt because it happened pretty late in the year. But Daniel Bryan and Kenny Omega. Oh yeah, oh, at Arthur Ashe. I mean, God. I was there, and yeah, again, absolutely. I. I know you you know you're going to be biased being there but I'm but look I've been going to wrestling for you know 35 years live and I'm you know I've been to a lot of shows that I was there for that I knew were terrible so it's not just being there so I you know you you're sitting there and I'm just going this is a match of the year you just yeah. feel it not only match of the year but like this is a moment this is like something you're going to remember years from now. So, I mean, I probably would have picked that. I also would uh, – after that, I'd, I'd go with Bianca and Sasha at WrestleMania because it was just, again, this incredible WrestleMania moment. Um, and also just from a pure – if you're just talking about pure bell-to-bell wrestling without any of the bells and whistles, just the actual match itself, uh, you know, the Ilya Dragunov and Walter, that's the kind of thing I love to see. I mean, that was just – just brutal, amazing, uh, the just the art of worked wrestling to its extreme, just really making people believe. It was just a, a violently beautiful thing to see. <laughs> yeah. So any one of those three, I think, I would have picked over over the one that won. Yeah, I really agree. I had forgotten about uh, Danielson and um, Omega uh, in, in uh, Queens, uh, but you're absolutely right. And, and that... Uh, had a lot of that WrestleMania feel in terms of the the, the big event feel, packed um, stadium in New York, biggest wrestling crowd in New York in in many years, and uh, a dream match that that people were waiting for for a long time. Um, you know, goes to a draw, just fantastic. So absolutely, uh, another one I'll throw in there that I don't see in um, votes for others, uh, and and I'm not at all gonna you know declare myself any kind of like big New Japan uh, insider, but I did see. Uh, Shingo and Osprey, just because there was so much buzz uh, about it. This is the match where Osprey, uh, I, I think, suffered the injury that made him have to vacate the title. Uh, but in terms of of innovation, in terms of um, you know wrestlers doing stuff you've never seen before, uh, it was incredible. It, it, it's one of the few matches that I, I forced my kids to watch. <laughs> I said, well, you got to watch this, just because um, you'll, you'll never see anything like that. So I think that's, that's in the running. Uh, so what you know again this is the the the, the cool thing about this is that everybody makes their own po- uh, a pick and um, the, the readers voted us out so um <laughs> what else do we have here 
tag team of the year. I don't think we need as much discussion of, uh, on this. Young Bucks win it with 24%. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's about right. Uh, Lucha yeah. Bros, 21%. Usos at 12%. New Day at 10%. You know, just coming off of uh, the, the tag team, uh, 50 uh, a lot of overlap, I think. It, not, not that there was an evaluation period, uh, but we're essentially talking about fans considering the same period of time. And uh, we've talked about it, you know, Young Bucks, innovative, um, still uh, absolutely the 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 trendsetters. And um, I, I think uh, one thing they did in 2021 uh, that, that maybe doesn't get brought up enough is really kind of round out those characters beyond just um, the, the stuff in, in the ring. And I think the heel work that they did uh, alongside Kenny Omega as, as part of the elite, you just think about them bouncing around the basketball and just kind of generally being jerks. They, they did it really well. So uh, they, on top of being such innovators in, in the ring, I think they became a much more just sort of fully polished act in 2021. Yeah, I almost can't even believe that they started out as baby faces in AEW right. when the company started. Yeah. There's there's so much better as heels and they're just they just harness some of that natural energy. I mean, I don't know uh, the Jackson brothers personally. I don't make any claim to know what they're like, but they just come off as just such smarmy jerks that it's it's easy to play into that. Yeah. And they're just naturals at it. Absolutely. So I, I think uh, that one, uh, the readers got right. A faction of the year, a relatively new award. I really like this uh, award. I mean, I think about back in, in the days of the NWO and DX and, you know, Los Boricuas and DOA and The Nation. Um, it it would have been fun to have something like this around. Uh, faction of the year went to uh, the inner circle at 29%. Um, the Elite came in uh, as first runner-up with 20%, then the Bloodline at 19%, and the Bullet Club at 7%. Um, inner, inner Circle, hotter in the beginning of the year, uh, and I, I might even argue hotter even then than in 2020 than 2021. So I think they lost some momentum, uh, but maybe not a great year for, for factions uh, this year. Uh, Bloodlines, uh, I really enjoy the Bloodline, but but it's almost less a faction than, than it is you know, Roman, and, and that's kind of the way it's built, that everybody is beholden to and kind of kneeling uh, at the feet of, of Roman. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess you can make an argument for the elite. But but what do you think about uh, the inner circle? I guess there's some hints being dropped that uh, th they may not be that much long longer for uh, AEW, the inner circle as, as a group. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been hinting for a few weeks now just this sort of like tensions and dissension and just mixed allegiances and stuff between the different group members. But I think that's a fair pick. I mean, they, they're especially the earlier part of the year they're They were an interesting unit made up of, you know, characters and performers that are all kind of good in their own right and have something going for them. They're they're really created, you could tell, with this with a very conscious idea of putting together a great kind of old school wrestling faction. Like you could clearly see the, the fingerprints of what they were trying to do. And like you said, I mean, the bloodline, yes, is more as a, as a thing is maybe more high profile right now in, in what they're doing in WWE, but it really is the Roman Reigns show. I mean, it's not, it's not the same thing as the inner circle. It's very much all Roman Reigns is dominantly the best thing about that faction. I mean, even more so than, you know, I'm tempted to think of something like the four horsemen where it was uh, very much built around Ric Flair, but still the people around him 
had more kind of juice going for them than just the Usos just basically being his lackeys. You know what I mean? Like the, there was yeah. a little bit more there. So I, I could see how they would win. I mean, it w- maybe not the best year for factions. It's not the heyday of factions in wrestling. But you, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd give it to the to the uh, inner circle. Yeah. Another uh, a relatively uh, new award, the Independent Wrestler of the Year. I think last year is the first year we did it. Uh, this year, not surprising, uh, Nick Gage uh, really runs away with it, 42 percent. Um, you know, obviously, he he got a lot of attention coming off of the, the Vice documentary. And, you know, because of that, Chris Jericho wanted to work with him. He ends up working uh, on, on AW Dynamite and just, you know, went from. Uh, a, a well-known independent uh, wrestler uh, early in the year to to something of a national figure uh, by the end of the year. And, and you see uh, GCW really uh, grow in, in its profile. They just sold out the Hammerstein Ballroom. So that one of one kind of maybe a lesser talk, talked about stories of 2021 was the rise of, of Game Changer Wrestling, how much Nick Gage had to do with that. They, they closed out the pay-per-view uh, last week with Nick Gage coming out and being one of the surprise opponents for uh, the Briscoes. We've talked a little bit about Nick Gage, not necessarily, I think, either our company. <laughs> um, but, but what do you think about kind of the story of Nick Gage in 2021? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to be unbiased when you're talking about stuff like this. It's kind of like I, I don't want to be the same as the people that lost their minds about, you know, Kenny Omega winning, you know, getting the top in the 500 just because they didn't personally like him. I mean, you have to acknowledge that he was the most high profile known independent wrestler to to wrestling fans in general. In the year 2021, I don't. I don't think you can dispute that. It's partly because of inside uh, beyond. Uh, I'm sorry, beyond the mat. <laughs> partly because of Dark Side of the Ring, and it's partly because of appearing on Dynamite, and like you said, the groundswell now of GCW, which is really becoming a third. Or I would say a distant third, but the the a number three in in American wrestling right now. Yeah. Uh, it, that's really happening. So, yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, the only one, uh, only one I might have thought of in that category might have been Dan Housen, just because of the incredible groundswell of what he's created. Yeah. But I also wonder how much of that is just sort of like a, a a Twitter phenomenon, you know, and how much of it is real. Yeah, he came up in the the uh, other vote getters. Uh, the first runner up was Trisha Dora, uh, who oh, is right. yes, yes. Pan African World Diaspora Champion. Um, Tony Deppin, um, second runner-up at 7%, and Effie at 6%, uh, another game-changer guy, I believe, who, who's been uh, feuding with uh, Jeff Jarrett, of all people. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, um, all right. So what else? We have Feud of the Year. This is one that goes way back. This is one of, I think, the the original awards back to the, the wrestler days. Um, Chris Jericho and MJF take it at 34%, so uh, a strong showing uh, from them. Uh, first runner-up, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair at 12%, so, so a distant number two. Uh, Britain Thunder Rosa at 10%, and Edge and Roman Reigns at 8%. You know, looking at those, I think Jericho and MJF, it's pretty... You know, if you asked me what was a few of the year, I think I might have struggled to even come up with one, and, and maybe it speaks to... Not a ton of great feuds in uh, 2021, but uh, MGF and, and Jericho definitely had that. I mean, the, the the long build, you think about them, you know, doing their song and dance routine on on Dynamite. I guess that was early in the year. Um, and the the eventual breakup, um, the the creation of the pinnacle, the pinnacle versus uh, the inner circle, um, 
the the whatever they call their version of war games. Uh, so yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, this is kind of classic Chris Jericho stuff. He he really throws himself into these kind of storylines, long term drawn out feuds that go very deep. And uh, yeah, I mean, at whatever he is now, fifty one years old, Jericho's still winning PWI awards. I think the part of the issue was that um, if Roman had had, let's say, um, a really strong because because Jericho and MGF wasn't even really like a, a main event feud. It was maybe close to main event, but I, I don't, wouldn't call it a main event feud. I think if Roman had had a really sustained, lengthy feud, it might have run away with an award like this. But the, the way they've been booking him, it's sort of been like in and outs, you know, like, like he'll, he'll, some guy will come in the picture. It's almost kind of like what they would do with Hulk Hogan back in the day, but in reverse where you had, your, you know, your super popular baby face champ and there'd be like a new monster heel every month or two that he'd have to go through. It, that seems to be the reverse psychology here where it's like he, you know, he, yeah, he had it. He's had great feuds, but they feel short. And with um, Jericho and MJF, it was the one that seemed the most, thought put into it long term it had the most kind of like moving parts different things happening great promos you had the labors of jericho and, and everything that came with that um and just the fact that both of those guys are incredible talkers and they could go in the ring i, th I think jericho can still go you know he's not he's not uh 1998 chris jericho but he can still go uh it had all the makings of a great feud but like you said i think it's one of those things where it wins in a lesser year for great wrestling feuds. Yeah, yeah. One that comes up uh, among the the other vote getters, which to me was probably the best uh, a feud of WWE for the year, and and it's not saying a whole lot, is uh, Edge versus Seth Rollins, and um, the storyline was fine, but but again, I always think with feud of the year, there's kind of two definitions. There is kind of the bloodlust, you know, that they hate each other in the story, and then there's just series of good matches and. Um, yeah. I think they had the three matches and they were all terrific. They had that one uh, uh, SmackDown match in Madison Square Garden that stole that show. They had the fantastic Hell in a Cell in uh, Saudi Arabia. And then they had the one other one. Uh, was it SummerSlam, I think? Um, and uh, they were all really, really good. So those two just really meshed well together and uh, would have been my pick for at least WWE Feud of the Year. Uh, most hated wrestler of the year. Uh, another one that may be a little con controversial. Um MJF wins it by a bigger margin than I would have expected, but it speaks to MJF really being potentially a, a historic heel. Uh, 44% of the vote, uh, not surprisingly, Roman Reigns, uh, first runner-up with 26%. I'd be a little bit surprised maybe by that margin, uh, Kenny Omega at number nine and uh, Baron Corbin at number six. That's a little surprising. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I would have thought it would be closer. Um, I'd still give it to MJF. I think the difference maker is that Reigns, again, like we said before, he has that thing to him where cool some people. I'm sorry? Cool heel. Oh, right, right. Some yeah. people like him. Some people like him. And with MJF, uh, you know, the Long Island crowd notwithstanding, <laughs> I, I think people just love to hate him more. And and I think it's interesting how even in this era of super smart fans and AEW does have a very smart fan base, even compared to WWE, you still feel that he's so good that there is some genuine 
animosity there with the crowd, even though they know that he's just a TV character or whatever. They're really he really does get under people's skin in a great way. He does not have a cool heel vibe. He no. is your your classic heel, just just somebody punch this guy in the face kind of a heel. But isn't it ironic that Roman Reigns seemed to have a better chance of winning most hated wrestler when he, he was did. a baby face. He, he did. He, he did. Was, I know. He did. Some years back, he, he was the first ever, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure, baby face to win this award. He was. He was. And and now that he actually is a heel, a true heel, it seems that he's more popular than he was when he was a face. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's that's interesting for you. Yeah. A- MJF, you know, uh, I, I really agree with what you said. And in fact, one of the concerns I have for MJF is that he's going to get himself in trouble one day because I think he pushes it so, so, so far. And uh, 2022 and social media and um, I don't like using this term, but it, it's certainly out there. Cancel culture being what it is. Uh, I, I hope he's reining himself in a little bit or or somebody's reining him in um, because uh, I, I think he's been on the edge a few times of uh, not necessarily anything that I would personally find uh, offensive, but uh, I think he's got to be careful <laughs> because there well, I, are a I, lot of constituencies out there yes. and um, you, you got to be careful not not to push it past. And and I get that his whole gimmick is keep pushing and pushing as far as you can. But at, at some point it, it might come back to bite you. So I and, and I trust that he's a smart enough guy, but he's still very young. Um, so I, I hope that there is. Uh, either his his, his own wisdom uh, or or somebody. I hope somebody's checking his tweets. <laughs> I hope Tony uh, well, Khan sees <laughs> his tweets before they go out. I've joked about how you know in wrestling in in 2022 or wrestling today, you have to do this balancing act where if you're a heel, you have to make sure you don't actually make people angry, which sounds so hilarious, yeah. but it's true. The The minute you actually, where it's not just, oh, 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 well, we know what you're doing. That's all fun. The minute people actually get mad, which used to be your number one goal, right? You could get into a lot of trouble. And we've seen it happen with some heels. But I think, I, I won't even get into my feelings on that. I think sometimes it's, it gets a little ridiculous the things people get in trouble for. But I do think that he's been smart or whoever works with him in finding ways to really piss people off without going into areas that are dangerous. Like like some of the things he does teasing where it, to, to me, it's genuinely shocking that stuff like this gets approved, but teasing going to WWE and making that like an ongoing part of his heat that I don't want to be here. And I'm going to, you know, uh, I, I have Bruce Pritchard on speed dial. I mean, he says that on dynamite he's on Twitter, wishing our truth, a happy birthday, you know, in all caps, <laughs> things like that, where he's clearly like needling the AEW fans, but he's doing it in a way that is safe in terms of it's nothing that's going to get him in trouble. That's not a danger zone. You know, he's he's he can say that still be shocking, but not get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And and as for Roman, I mean, we've already talked a lot uh, about him, but just in terms of the heel work, uh, I, I think there's such. Uh, uh, nuance and and you touched on you know w- whether he's got a future in Hollywood and I think what we've seen out of him the last year plus um, really shows that that he does uh, because beyond just kind of trying to 
uh, insight fans and and be controversial. He little things, you know, uh, uh, facial reactions, uh, his treatment of the Usos and of Paul Heyman. Um, it, it's uh, I, I would argue, and I think some people would disagree with me, and maybe in a different day I disagree with myself um, that Roman Reigns' character is um, a. a, a What's the right word here? It, it, it's more nuanced than MJF. And that's probably not even a controversial take that MJF is is bombastic. That's kind of the whole point of it. Um, Roman Reigns, his uh, heel character is is built on a lot more subtleties. And yes. um, uh, I, I think he just does it so, so well. I mean, I, uh, would I have voted for him? I might have. I think I probably would have voted for Roman over MJF on this one. Well, I think, you know, the funny thing, we, we all probably anybody that's a, a, a big wrestling fan, you have sort of the people in your life that are it may be in your family or close friends, and they're really not necessarily wrestling fans, but you sometimes gauge them and their reactions to things. And it, and it tells you something from an outside perspective. So, so I had two things that this made me think of. One is, you know, my wife, who is, you know, long suffering with all this wrestling stuff. <laughs> the one thing she'll say anytime Roman Reigns is on the TV, she'll just be like, why isn't this guy making movies? This guy should be like starring in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like this guy can be a huge movie star, you know? And, and the other thing is my son, who used to be big into wrestling, but he's not really plugged in anymore. My, my older son, he's 17 and he was dying laughing on, you know, whatever the hell they're on these days, whether it's TikTok or, um, Oh, what's the other one that they're all, uh, man, Snapchat, things like that. Just people sharing videos. He and his friends were dying laughing over the M he didn't even know who he was, but it was the MJF promo where he says, you know why they call it the Midwest? Because oh, yeah. everything in it is mid. That became this viral thing for people that My didn't kid, even yeah. right. They didn't even know <laughs> about wrestling. They didn't even know who he was. I saw it on TikTok as, you know, one of those sound bites that people use for their TikTok videos being used by people who were not even clearly not wrestling fans, you know, by by their profiles at least. And they were using that whole like Midwest thing that promo that he did so i mean that that kind of stuff matters especially today oh huge yeah when we went to the uh the dynamite uh on long island and i, I took my kids and and they're not that familiar with AEW at all um but when mjf uh, came out my my 13 year old son yeah he knew him from tiktok <laughs> so yep. uh, yeah you'd have some. <laughs> um we could deal with a most popular wrestler and um comeback of the year together because they both went to cm punk i think these are as, as much gimmies as uh, anything here, um, by far, I, th I think he uh, deserved uh, both of these. Uh, he got most popular wrestler with 25% of uh, the vote. Uh, behind him was Adam Page at 11%, uh, Big E at 10%, and Bianca Belair at 9%. You know, I don't think any of those really set the world on fire as as a baby faces. So I think it speaks to um, the the challenge in, in really creating baby faces in 2022. And as far as comeback of the year, it's a different page. Um, so Punk uh, got it with 44%. Um, second place, a Sting with 15%. Christian Cage, 13%. And Becky Lynch, 12%. Uh, so uh, that's about right, too. So let's talk about uh, most popular of the rest of the year. We just talked about the biggest heel. Again, I think 
whether it should be or it shouldn't be, it is harder to be a babyface in 2022. And uh, Punk uh, is just so good at this. And uh, maybe this is more, <laughs> it ends up being more discussion of, of comeback of the year, but to be gone for whatever it was, seven and a half years and come back and just what that one promo uh, that night on, on Dynamite, um, it was um, to, to maybe jump to another thing that, that we might talk about later, uh, the the Wrestling Observer uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, he, he, I think he's been on the ballot for a few years. I voted for him this year. He didn't get in. Uh, but to me, he solidified his spot as a Hall of Famer uh, in 2021. Yeah, and and not only you know the thing about baby faces today is there's got to be it has to really feel real because especially in a time when people really see through the illusion of wrestling more than ever. And they're more kind of willing participants and that kind of thing. It has to be something that really feels real to them and strikes a chord to go to that next level. And, and he did that with this comeback because it was really tied into the real true adoration that people had for him and how much they missed him. And the comeback, I mean, God comeback of the year, I, I would easily say comeback of the decade comeback yeah. of the, of the last 10 years. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I said had that to, I- Unrestricted podcast. Yeah. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't remember one that, that was bigger than his. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it was one of those things where it's bigger than wrestling. I mean, I was sending the clip of him, the promo when he came back to people that hadn't even watched wrestling in years to just be like, Hey, you got to see this, look at this, you know, or they had inquired with me like, Hey, is, is CM Punk really back? I mean, it was it was one of those moments. And yeah, I mean, easily most popular, easily comeback of the year, especially um, that's the problem, maybe the biggest no brainers of the whole of this whole thing. Yeah. One of the things and I think Biggie did fine work, but but it, it's telling that he is the top vote get, vote getter for most popular wrestler of the year only gets 10 percent and really was not positioned um as like the top guy in wwe um all year and this is a big big problem for for wwe uh and it has been for a, a number of years you know we, we talk about the challenges they they've had in creating stars over the last several years since john cena and um m- maybe you could say that roman reigns finally has kind of achieved that of, of being uh, the biggest star since roman Re- since uh, john cena but but he's a heel and, um, you know, I, I think Big E did really good work, uh, but that he would be the top baby face in, in WWE and uh, only get 10 percent, which is probably about right, uh, I, I think really speaks to a big, big problem. In WWE and, and the other vote getters uh, I should mention. Let me see who do we got. Brian Danielson, Jungle Boy, um, Adam Cole, and uh, Randy Orton. At least one of those guys was basically a heel all year in uh, Adam Cole. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, what do you think of, of AEW, the job AEW does presenting baby faces versus WWE? Well, I talked about the whole issue of, you know, to, to connect with baby faces, especially today, it has to really feel real. And so the issue that the versus between the two companies with WWE is everything there feels so canned now. Yeah. It, it's so much more fake, you know, and I hate to use that word, not in the even the sense that wrestling people that don't like wrestling will use it against the business. I just mean it's like it just doesn't come across, whereas AEW 
for whatever reason, you just it feels more authentic when you're watching it, when people are talking. And look, grant, granted, uh, wrestlers are still performers. They'll always be performers. CM Punk is not the most popular person, certainly behind the scenes in the business. And and a lot of people have have had issues with him personally and his, you know, his ego and things like that. But but he is able to make a real connection with fans, with people watching that show. Uh, and other people do it in, in AEW as well. I think with Paige, it happened. It's happened with, you know, Brian Danielson has had a renaissance more, you know, more than what he's had in years, even even with what the way they pushed him in WWE. It, it's just something that feels more real about the way they handle it over there. It's more organic. Um, and so, yeah, B- Big E was not what it tells me is that people wanted him to do better. Than he did. So they looked at him. They said, yeah. we love this guy. This guy's great. And and so he wins, mo- or not that he wins most popular, but but he gets a good amount of votes because people love him. But then when it comes time to vote for wrestler of the year, those people are going, well, I really love this guy, but there's no way he was the wrestler of the year, you know, and that speaks yeah. to the, the way he's presented. Like you said, it, it's a, it's a big problem. It's a big problem in WWE. I, I don't know how they fix it. I mean, it would take a drastic change in the way that they present their product. I mean, God, even look at John Cena, for God's sake. I mean, how polarized the audience was for years with him, no matter how great he was. I mean, we, we romanticize the John Cena era now because he's the biggest star that they had in, in you know, the last 15 years, but he never had that overwhelming support of the fan base at the time he was on top. He had half the audience that just wanted him gone from their TV. So, so I think this is a long running problem that WWE has had really long. Yeah. And I think uh, you touched on it. The, the, the model they have of these tightly scripted promos is always going to be in the way of uh, a true babyface emerging um, because you're, you're, you look at a, a jungle boy, you know, there's, he's barely talked, right? So uh, it, 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 it's not, um, anything that he has said or anything like that, it, it is natural charisma, right? I mean, um, he's just a likable guy, and AEW packaged him with the the right um, act um, in the Jurassic Express, and they went and they got the music, and the presentation is, you know, and, and he kind of goes in the ring, and he fights from, from beneath as the underdog, and it's gotten over, and, and so they... They recognize uh, uh, a natural charisma and ability, and um, they put the machine behind it and put it uh, push in the right direction. Where in WWE, it's it's almost the opposite. It's somebody emerges with some a natural talent, and then they get behind it and they sabotage it and and they bring it down. It's it, it's almost the worst thing that could happen. You know, we've talked about that with with uh, NXT call-ups and stuff like that. Sometimes the worst thing that could happen to you is that you get that WWE machine behind you because. Uh, it 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 may more likely sink you than than lift you up. So um, that that's a real problem. Uh, that uh, kind of gets to uh, the 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 next award here, and it is the one award that WWE won uh, this year. Inspirational wrestler of the year goes to Edge with twenty four uh, percent. Bianca Belair. Uh, WWE actually did really well in this category. Uh, first runner up, seventeen percent, and Big E second runner up, ten percent, and Mickey James ten um, percent also in the third runner up spot. Uh, Edge at uh, whatever he was, fifty or so, 
coming back. Uh, he actually came back last year, but um, ended up taking some more time off because of an injury. Uh, so this really was kind of his comeback year. Uh, went to the Rumble, goes to WrestleMania, has a terrific performance, and has a number of terrific performances um, throughout the year. And, uh, you know, when you talk about most popular wrestler of the year, I think he would have been in, in the conversation for WWE uh, if he was more of a full-time performer. Uh, but, you know, a guy who was retired for whatever it was, close to, to 10 years, and we thought we saw the last of him and um, just doing fan, fantastic work, um, working as hard as he ever has. Uh, so I, I think it's a fine pick. Um, do, do you, you know, I, I don't I might have voted for Bianca over him. I'm not sure. You know, uh, it would have been close, but but I don't have a problem with either one. Well, it's it's always very telling that the inspirational award for me because it always spells out to me the it's almost like the kind of award where people or fans and readers they they ignore the way that people are being booked and they pay more attention to just who who touches me the most, you know, who, who affects me the most just as a person and what they're doing and just looking at their story objectively. And so someone like edge is always going to do really well because he's a sentimental favorite. And a lot of people now at the point we're at now, you get a lot of fans that got grew up as kids watching him and from his, you know, before he retired and things like that. So it's, it says a lot to me that WWE did well with this award because, again, what it reinforces is they want to get behind people. They want to. They're looking for people yeah. to like and get behind and believe in. But the programming and the product is not delivering. It's not picking up the ball and running with it. It's like people are just dropping breadcrumbs like, here's the people we like. Here's the people we'll get behind and love. If you just book them the right way and, and it's not happening, you know, yeah. it, it hasn't happened in a long time. I mean, I would argue that there hasn't been people huge on top, long-term baby faces that fans as a whole have gotten behind since, uh, Austin and rock. Yeah. I, I don't know if I totally agree with you about Cena. I think Cena did have a huge following and I think so much of the hate that he had was um, sort of uh, uh, deceptive in how big it was. I think it was the the chic thing to do, the cool thing to do, uh, to to boo Cena. But man, was he moving those shirts and that merch and totally. crowds. Um, he he was a star and he was a really popular star. Um, and and they haven't had anybody uh like him. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it, I think that's a, a an astute kind of observation that this is sort of like the look past the booking award, you know. Um, and, and, uh, you're right. And, and you think about kind of, um, uh, the, the times we're living in, um, Bianca Belair and, and Big E could have, should have, and, and, and were, uh, really inspirational, uh, characters. And, and, uh, I think might've done even better in this category. When you think about Big E winning the world championship, this is the same title held by Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan and, and so on. And, uh, Bianca Belair, uh, headlining um, WrestleMania, um, these these were historic figures at historic times, um, accomplishing historic things, and um, you know, seventeen percent and ten percent, you know, so uh, yeah. they they, they could have should have done better. Um, we talked about comeback of the year, uh, CM Punk. 
uh, most improved the rest of the year. We touched on Britt Baker wins it with 22%. Uh, I'll just go over uh, quickly the um, runners-up. Bobby Lashley at 12%. Um, had a great year, whatever he is, 46 years old. Uh, Trevor Murdoch wins the NWA championship. We haven't talked a lot about him. Uh, I don't know how I feel about him as NWA champion. I, I really liked um, what's his name? Nick Aldis. <laughs> Nick Aldis. Yeah. What's his name? But but I mean, to me, he was the face of of this new, uh, new NWA. I, I, and I assumed it would have been right back on him before long. Uh, but but Trevor's doing fine work over there. And uh, Deanna Perazzo, um, yeah, uh, like I said, I got to talk to her a few weeks ago for an interview coming up in the magazine, and really impressed by by her, not just in the ring, but I think she's just super smart, ambitious, um, has everything. She's going to go very very far. Uh, in wrestling, uh, any anything on any of those? Well, I think yeah, I think that the thing with Nick Aldis with the NWA is that I believe that there was an issue of a contract renewal with him where he it, it was not entirely sure that he was going to be sticking with the NWA. I, I I forget who it was, but I think there was interest in him from another company. I can't remember if it may have been AEW or something. But so I think that might have been initially why they did that. I, I'm also not really feeling the Trevor Murdoch um, era <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, I just I think it's a it's a bad look for the NWA. I think uh, I, I sound so mean, but but Nick Aldis really he came across as an NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He 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 fit the brand. I also think it helped him that it got to the point where he was really associated with the NWA very closely, even though he, you know, he was Magnus and TNA, but, but, but I think he had really overshadowed that. Whereas with Murdoch, it's just like, Oh God. Oh wow. It's that guy from WWE in 2005. And now he's the NWA world heavyweight champion. And I just think it, um, I don't know. I, th- I think they've really lost a step recently. That's only part of it, but it's a big part. They've, they've really lost a step. Yeah, yeah, I, I've uh, dialed back my viewing of them, too. I mean, part of it is that the structure, and now they're going back to YouTube, um, and they have a model that I think is going to be a little more uh, fan-friendly than what they had uh, been doing. Uh, but I agree, and um, it, it's always been an issue uh, with them, and I don't know if it's about kind of who's running things over there, um, but but there's like this weird nostalgia for mid-2000s WWE stuff, right? And this was... You know, not at all like a hot period for WWE, but you see them, um, you know, like bringing back like Mike Knox and, um, you know, Ken you Kennedy. Five, yeah, yeah, you know, all, all these guys or or uh, Chris Masters, uh, right? Chris, Chris <laughs> Thomas, all these guys, the Pope. They're they're this is like 2006 era. You know, are we gonna get like Heidenreich back uh, soon? These were bad times for for WWE. Now, I know. Uh, I, I appreciate that like some of these wrestlers were better than they were given in WWE and still have some gas in the tank. And there's some, um, some, some name recognition there. So, uh, and, and I thought Murdoch was doing really well. I thought he was a fine challenger for the title and I would have been okay with kind of like, you know, whatever the one month, uh, reign before putting it back, uh, on, on Aldis. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, kind of watching from afar, um, I, I've, uh, I've definitely lost some interest and, in, and, in, and think they need, Maybe a little bit of course correcting. Uh, finally, rookie uh, of the year, one of our oldest uh, awards, and and you look at rookie of the year throughout the years, and and it really is kind of a a lot of years we got it very much right, and in some years I guess we got it wrong. But I mean, this is a, an award that was won by Ric Flair and Steve Austin and uh, many others. This year, uh, it goes to Jade Cargill, thirty five percent. I think a fine choice. You know, 
like any rookie, she's got a, a ways to go, um, but absolutely uh, uh, something there. I mean, just in terms of, you know, you, you talk about uh, a, a WWE act. I think Vince McMahon would would be watering at the mouth to sign Jade Cargill. I mean, uh, she just looks so great, um, has this in- incredible look, this incredible persona, uh, confidence, uh, really stands out as something special. Uh, as I touched on, Still has a lot of learning to do, uh, but a a great, great start to her career, I'd say. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know if I would have given this to her myself. And it, it, this felt like a really, really good year for for newcomers in wrestling. I think I probably would have went with Braun Breaker. Yeah, but who's runner up at 28 Right. I understand. Again, it's a, one of the one of those timing issues. Mm-hmm. His best stuff was later in the year. I think if you if you did the voting now, I think he would win. Honestly, yep, um, he's he's sort of like your textbook rookie of the year. In fact, the funny thing is most of the time because of wrestling being the way it is and people's careers don't really heat up until they're a few years in. You know, we typically allow if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but you could, you're eligible until you've completed your second full year yeah, as a wrestler. I was speaking that he may still be eligible for next year. I, I, he I'm, is a I'm true. Positive. Yeah. Right. He is a true genuine rookie. I mean, he came right out of the gate. Uh, that very rarely happens in wrestling, even in WWE. Yeah. He had, um, I, I think the, the total number of matches he had was in the single digits, um, mm-hmm. before he, he debuted on television. So yeah, a, a true, true rookie. And, um, I, I'm not sure how it works. I don't know if, if his ranking so high here would disqualify him from being ranked the next year, but he's the NXT champion, uh, uh right now. So certainly would, would be off to a strong start. As you touched on, I think if they did the voting again right now, uh, he would win. Um, and I, you know, b- both of them have, uh, a, a lot more, um, to learn. Uh, I think I might argue that Braun Breaker is taking to it a little more naturally than than um, Jade has, but uh, both, you know, really, really great years for them. Uh, second runner up, I don't know if I agree on this one, uh, Bad Bunny at 20%. I was super impressed by Bad Bunny. I was impressed by Bad Bunny the way I was impressed by LT back in WrestleMania 11, you know, in terms <laughs> right. of having zero expectations for a celebrity and then being impressed that the guy took it really seriously and and worked hard so um uh, but i mean a rookie that he's a he's a rookie the way jay leno was (laughs) a rookie when when he worked uh whatever it was road wild years ago Uh, it was a one-off for him as far as we know and and he did a fine job of representing himself but i don't know that he even belongs in the uh, the voting and uh brock anderson um uh, arn's kid comes in uh, third at six percent. Uh, others in this category: Becca, Yo-Yo, Lady C, Carly, Bravo. Um, I'd be lying if I said uh, I was super familiar with any of them. So um, that's it. A uh, 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 real quick, let's touch on the the Stanley Weston Awards because there was a fair amount of discussion among all the writers about uh, who these should go to, and these are uh, essentially lifetime achievement awards. We give one out uh, every year. This year we gave out two, and I think the thought was uh, both we have. Uh, some some catching up to do, right, in terms of uh, a, a lack of representation over the years uh, in this award. And also uh, in in the case, I think, of one of our vote-getters, Terry Funk, you don't want to wait until uh, it, it, it not not to be uh, uh, too morbid or anything like that, but, but we know that Terry's had some uh, issues. And uh, unfortunately, too often, 
um, people are honored uh, after they're they're here to even appreciate being honored. So uh, to give out this year, Ron Simmons, the first uh, black world heavyweight champion uh, as recognized by PWI and uh, Terry Funk. Uh, uh, real quick, would you touch on, on both their careers? Yes, yeah, certainly. I, um, you know, I was really passionate about Terry Funk getting this. I feel like if you look at Funk, um, it, I mean, he's the definition of lifetime achievement. I, I mean, I don't think I'm going too far to say that I, I can't think of anybody alive in wrestling who would deserve this more. I mean, if, if he hasn't earned a lifetime, a true lifetime achievement award, I can't tell you who has. I mean, this is a man who's been around in, in wrestling since the end of the 60s up until, you know, God, he had his last match maybe like four or five years ago. And um, just constantly reinventing himself. I mean, came out of the box just uh, as a, a West Texas football star, you know, in college and then just following in his dad's footsteps and becoming world champion like his brother. And then the, the reinventing himself in the 80s so that depending on when you grew up with him, it was almost like a different Terry Funk. There, were, there was there was 70s Terry Funk, who was the world champion. There was the 80s Funk in the WWF and feuding with Ric Flair. Then he did it again in the 90s in ECW. I mean, always changing with the times, just a true lifetime of achievement. So, I mean, that's amazing to see. And, and with Ron Simmons, I mean, God, you, you're talking about a true history maker. I mean, I mean, becoming the first black uh, world heavyweight champion and, and especially because when you're looking at it now, he won the WCW world heavyweight title, which linearly, you know, you could argue, you know, it goes back to the NWA. It goes back even further than that, you know, being the lineal world title going all the way back to, you know, Frank Gotch. And it's, it it definitely was the, the title with the most history and prestige around it in wrestling in a lot of ways. And for him to win that one was an incredible achievement. And I mean, I, and I mean, I'm sure you remember that. I remember that. I mean, that was another one of those real emotional moments in wrestling, uh, when he, when he won that. And I, I felt like I, I wish that WCW had done even more with him, yes. but I mean, just based on that achievement alone, he deserves something like this, but he's done so much more than that. I mean, God, the WWF and WWE fans know him from the APA where, where he took what, what could have been career uh, suicide with, with the whole Farouk Assad thing when he first got there. And again, he was another one reinvention. He created a whole new era of his career of, of people that love him from that more than anything else. So, I, I mean, just both of them, incredible wrestling careers and the definition of people that should be getting lifetime achievement awards for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you touched on it, you know, in some ways, um, as much success as Ron Simmons had and that he accomplished that um, a goal of being the first black uh, world heavyweight champion, um, really, you can make the argument that he he um, not that he underachieved, but but that he could have been so much bigger. You think about what if he came around 20 years later, a guy with that um, athletic pedigree uh, that that he had, that he was able to accomplish what he did with the forces working against him uh, at the time, because make no mistake about it, when you're talking, you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, a, a lot of, and, and you can argue that some of it is still there, but in terms of like systemic racism, it was very, very, very much there um, when when he was uh, coming up and winning um, the world title. Uh, and and that he got to that point, even with those forces in place, uh, is incredible. And, and it's something that, I, I've had kind of a, a change of heart about just in 
um, the last uh, year or so, uh, maybe some <laughs> in, enlightenment because of world events. But, you know, you, you for, for so long, this is a little bit of a change of, of topic here, but you look at um, WWE Hall of Famers, people like um, Tony Atlas and uh, Coco Beware, and uh, WWE has gotten flack over the years, in, from me at, at times also, of the sort of like, uh, I think we're, we're considered token um, inductees uh, because they were black. And I would always look at Coco as like, really, Coco Beware, you know, yeah. uh, as a Hall of Famer, uh, it, 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 not there. Uh, certainly, like the the accomplishments aren't there. But I think there is another way of looking at it, and and I think my view has changed uh, somewhat on this. That uh, in some ways, Coco Beware is very much a Hall of Famer because he accomplished what he did with those forces uh, in place uh, working uh, uh, against him. You know, uh, it, it wasn't a level playing field for a guy like Coco Beware uh, or, or uh, these other people we're, we're talking about or Ron Simmons. So that any of them got to the level uh, that they did uh, at, at a time when uh, really so many things were working against them being uh, at that spot, uh, I really think is special uh, and, and a testament to uh, careers. Uh, so uh, we've gone here a uh, 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 long, uh, but uh, while we're on the topic, I, I do want, because we talked about it in the last podcast, the Wrestling Observer uh, Hall of Fame. Just want to uh, quickly go through it. So they announced their their latest class. Uh, not surprising, as, as we talked about, uh, Okada, uh, I think the third highest votes ever. He got 92 percent. Um, so uh, easily got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, also getting in uh, this year, uh, a Mexican uh, lucha act, big in the 80s and 90s, th- three generations of wrestlers, uh, Los Brazos, uh, Jim Crockett Jr., um, a promoter of uh, NWA and, and the Crockett territory there in, in the Atlanta area, uh, and uh, Don Owen, a promote, promoter up in uh, the Pacific uh, Northwest. And just missing the cut, somebody we talked about a lot uh, in the last episode, we're starting to slaughter uh and a lot of guys apparently now kind of on the bubble uh next year in terms of threatening to come off of the uh the ballot because of some um uh, rules that that are in place and and a few people are coming off the ballot including the ultimate warrior uh next year but but any uh, uh thoughts on um this year's class uh of the hall of fame for the wrestling Observer? Well, I, I vote, I always vote for the maximum amount of people that they allow you to vote, which for, which I think is 10 wrestlers and five non-wrestlers every year. And the reason is because I feel like there are so many historical people, people from the, from long ago, really, that are not in who deserve to be in. And, and, and I just take it upon myself every year tirelessly to try to help them get in. And that's why, you know, one of my own personal things, I know this is just the way I vote. I do not vote for people that are currently active, especially if they're in the prime of their career. And a big reason for that is I think, you know, I can't justify it when you've got people from years ago who also deserve, who are not yet in. I, I just look at it in a chronological way. Like, like look, I know I'm, I'm you know, I, I come from it at the point of view of a historian, you know, and I'm looking and I'm voting for people like June Byers, who was a huge women's star, one of the biggest, Wild Bull Curry, 
uh, Sergeant Slaughter, who I vote for every year, and I can't understand how you even have a wrestling Hall of Fame that Sergeant Slaughter can't get into. Um, <laughs> I vote for Ricky Starr, who was one of the main stars of the 50s. This year, I voted for Bobby Davis, who was basically the inventor of the role of the heel manager. But, you know, he's been gone from the business now for over 50 years and he's no longer with us. So these people have a tough time getting in. The only person that I voted for that got in this year was Don Owen, because another, you know, a glaringly overlooked person who probably was the operator of a major wrestling promotion for a longer period of time than any other human being who has ever lived. Uh, so, so of course he deserves to go in, but one of the issues I have, I love that there's a wrestling observer hall of fame. I think it is the, in many ways, the most legitimate because it's voted on the way it's voted and the way people are selected and, but, but it is flawed. And, and I think one of the things it has two problems. I think you have so many, especially with current people within the industry who only vote for people that they themselves remember seeing rather than really trying to do their research you can't expect people to do that do this that much unless you're picking the right people to vote you know to really do the research and go who actually really deserves to go in and so that's why you wind up getting things like that happening i think one of the things they need to do i think this would solve a lot of problems is they they have this rule where you're eligible once you have been a wrestler for a minimum of 15 years and I think that is way too short a time, because especially in wrestling, where it could sometimes take you five to ten years to even get warmed up. Um, I think it should be 25 years minimum. And I think that would really help. Because, look, the fact that Roman Reigns will be eligible next year, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know – if you agree, but that just seems crazy to me. You talk about a guy who is on top of wrestling right now and we're saying, oh, yes, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame next year. I, I just can't wrap my head around that, especially when you've got people that are still not in that deserve to be in, you know, from decades ago. I, I just think it needs a little retooling some of this, some of this stuff, because because what's going to happen then is since you allow people like Kenny Omega and Roman Reigns and CM Punk and Kazuchika Okada and people like that to be eligible, they are completely overshadowing the earlier people that deserve to go in because, of course, they're right in your face every week on television. And I, I think that needs to be addressed. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think. Do you know what it is in, in like Major League Baseball? The uh... um, You know, I looked it up because I was curious and I think it is something that uh, similar. But again, the difference in baseball is. Sure. When a guy has been playing Major League Baseball for, for 15 years, um, he's about ready to stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? A wrestling career can go 30, right. for, 30 years or more. Yeah. Right. I mean, look at Roman Reigns, for example. He's he's like my favorite example now, because when I saw he was eligible next year, my eyes almost fell out of my head. But when you think about, it, OK, so it's in 2023, he'll be eligible. So I'm assuming that means that he started wrestling, I guess, in 2008 or 2009, which which makes sense if I as I look in his career. Now, he was a complete unknown for about the first five of those years, right? And then it took him another five to even get warmed up. And, and so now you've got him 15 years technically a pro, and um, he is just hitting his stride now. Now that wouldn't happen with baseball. So there's a big difference there. You have you have to treat it differently.
You know, I think I think you treat it, it, it more as something like an entertainment hall of fame, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for example. I think their rule is 25 years. It has to be 25 years since your first recording. And that makes a lot of sense because then you really you also get a real circumspect view of this person's career. I mean, what if um, what if Kenny Omega just completely bombs out for the next 10 to 15 years? Will people regret voting him in? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you need to be able to really look back on somebody's full career to judge whether they go into the Hall of Fame or not. And it's a good point because it, it it is that tail end of the careers of a lot of these uh, figures from a previous generation where you can see the whole body of work that are keeping them out. I mean, I think of a of a Sergeant Slaughter who, right. if in in this point of his career where, where Roman Reigns was in, you know, he might have been more of a gimme, but now um, he's got to carry around. You know, I, Iraqi, uh, a traitor and, uh, you know, everything else at the, at the end of his uh, career that, that maybe didn't help his case that much. Um, so I think it's, it's um, a really good point. Uh, I know uh, uh, Dave Meltzer has talked about some changes, I think, essentially to allow people to vote for more people or for, or for more people to get in every year. Um, and he made the point that uh, when whatever the, the number is uh, uh, was determined the 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 potential pool of candidates was uh, a lot smaller now it's obviously grown by a lot yet you still are at that fixed number so he he essentially thinks that uh, uh maybe folks should be able to 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 vote for more people so that's one possible change that's uh, coming up um I w- wanted to um run by you some people who uh, again are on the bubble and um so these people are being dropped off the list. Yeah. So these these folks are uh, off the list next year. I will go through everybody, but I'll go through a few that that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, the fabulous ones: uh, Stanley and Steve Kern, uh, Nikki Bella, Charlotte Flair, Kamala, Rick Martel, John Moxley, uh, Seth Rollins. Yeah, I think these go to exactly what you're talking about. That that not, not only are they eligible, but they're already getting booted off. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and the Ultimate Warrior uh, and uh, Stephanie McMahon. Um, all coming off, uh, somebody else coming off for a different for the 15 year 50% rule uh, is uh, Mr. Wrestling 2, Johnny Walker, and uh, will be dropped next year, if not getting at least 50%. So uh, they've got to get 50% next year, these folks, or they will be dropped off uh, Slaughter, uh, Enrique Torres, and, and Rocky Johnson. So, uh, and and um, in terms of who is eligible uh, next year, uh, Argentina Rocca, or, or added to the ballot, Argentina Rocca and Miguel Perez. Uh, Rick Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, Akira Tao, and Toshiaka Kawada, uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, Roman Reigns, Becky Lynch, uh, Roy Welch, uh, Shingo Takagi, and Rossi Ogawa. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think some names there. I mean, that Becky Lynch could already be eligible for the Hall of Fame is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I mean. And there are people that are getting dropped that it's – very sad because they should have gone in long, long ago. And the fact that they're not only not in, but about to be dropped off the ballot. I mean, fabulous moolah was dropped off the ballot years ago. And I understand, you know, she's problematic for other ways, but that's another one. How in the world do you have this hall of fame and she's not in it? I mean, even, and, and, you know, Rocky Johnson, Enrique Torres for, for people that remember his career, that some of these people are, are gimmies. Uh, I would even say, even though I, I'm not a fan of the Ultimate Warrior, the fact that he has so little support is shocking even to me. Um, I, I wouldn't vote for him, but it's shocking that there's so little support. And the fact that Sergeant Slaughter is in danger of getting dropped 
you know, I, I do like the fact that he's more open now to adding tag teams on there of people that may already be in, like, for example, like Raka and Perez, probably the high, the top drawing wrestling tag team of all time in some ways, or at least sharing that distinction with the road warriors, but you know, rock is already in. So, so he was reluctant to put that tag team on there. And I'm, I'm glad there's, he's finally loosening up and, you know, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood as a tag team separate should definitely be in there. I mean, you know, one of the most underrated tag teams of the eighties, maybe the most popular tag team of the early eighties should be on there. So, you know, there's some good stuff happening. I'm also wondering if he might want to consider, and I know he'll probably get killed for this, but he gets killed for everything. When he first started it in 96, he had a list of people that just went in automatically without before the votes even started, just because they were, no brainer people that had to go in like the first year, you know, like Bruno San Martino, Frank Gotch, uh, Strangler Lewis. Like he had these people that he just appointed. He might want to consider, especially for distant historic people who are never going to get enough votes from younger readers. He might want to consider appointing them to the hall of fame to just uh, from a historical point of view. I, I don't know if he'd ever do that again, but there are people that I think deserve that. I think he he talked about that recently, and I and and I I think there's a precedent for that, right? So, right. Uh, I, I think he's done that. Um, a, another thing, and 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 um, just coincidentally, this ties into uh, the the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame that was just announced, and um, a, 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 you know, a, a lot of really legendary names also dropping off of their ballot, including uh, uh, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. Obviously, they all have their own baggage. Um, but there's discussion of now, uh, what are they called? Like a, a veterans committee, right? Uh, uh, that, that would vote separately. I wonder if there's an opportunity for something like that, or maybe right. to really, I mean, I know there's already historians, um, that vote, uh, but if, if it's maybe a separate vote or something like that, or maybe the, the older people, you know, you'd have to have a cutoff year or whatever. Uh, maybe you give more weight to the votes right. of certain people over others. Like if you're a historian, and you're voting for somebody that's, you know, pre-1980 or something or whatever, the 85, then maybe that vote carries a little more weight just because you're known to have more knowledge of that person's career and accomplishment. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. Uh, uh, mentioning uh, uh, Bonds and Clemens and, and Sosa and Schilling, um, and you mentioned Mula and uh, the Warrior, you know, again, the common thread being obviously people who had some baggage outside of maybe their contributions uh, in the ring. How much do you think that that should count toward um, their Hall of Fame credentials or not? Uh, not not just their contributions in the ring, but maybe how they live their life outside of it. And uh, I, I believe Benoit was it's kind of a different case, but he, he was removed from the Hall of Fame. I believe he was uh, not. He was not removed from the Hall of Fame? There's no. By removing him from the Hall of Fame, and ultimately they yeah. didn't. Okay. I was going to bring that up because I, I think, you know, every there's always a line, and you have to figure out where that line is. I'm one of those people that say that Pete Rose has to go in, for example, especially with this much time having passed. Um, you know, what he did was wrong, but in my eyes and in the eyes of a lot of people, it is not even close to being something that should – um, overwhelm all the accomplishments that he had, for example. But of course, you're talking about Benoit, somebody who committed such an incredibly horrible and un unspeakable crime, I think is a little bit different. 
I, I think he probably should have been removed. But what they did was he put it up to a vote and the vote lost <laughs> the the vote of whether or not to remove him. And it was voted that he should not be removed. Now, uh, I think, of course, then it sets a precedent and you have to ask, well, should should, should Jimmy Snuka come out and things like that? Like, for example, um, Mr. Wrestling 2 has been hurt very badly, I think. And, and this is was mentioned in The Observer because – in the past, I think, year or two, it came out that he was um, charged in a gang rape um, as as a young man, even, I think even before he got into wrestling. And I think he even might have done jail time for it. I'm not totally appraised of that situation, but it was it became very well known among the demographic of people that, let's say, would vote for Mr. Wrestling to like me on a ballot of this kind. So. Yeah, it becomes tricky and you start thinking, well, well, some of these people are 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 really um they're criminals. <laughs> it's hard to there's yeah, no other and, way to put it's it. Pro wrestling, right? Especially right. If you talk about a certain generation. If we started digging into the closets of everybody in this Hall of Fame, I'm sure we'd find all Correct. kinds of seemingly things. Yeah. Well, that's my my other thing with it, and I hate to be super, super cynical, but I can almost guarantee you that there are many, many people that are in there that we don't even know some of the horrible things that they probably did. I, I hate to put it that way, but but it's a fact. It's just a fact. But I, that's another uh, sort of uh, a question, though, of, of fairness, because I think it's more likely that in 2022, some of this stuff um, surfaces and is discussed versus um, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So it's it's more challenging with if 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 Jimmy's, you know, the the the, um, the stuff about Snoke had been around for decades. Right. Right. Um, but I wonder if he was appearing on the ballot for the first time now, uh, how different things. Is he in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, without looking, I want to say that he is. But again, I, I guess you can't take it for granted if if. Um, some people are in that you can't believe aren't in. I, I'm, I'm now. I'm curious. I may have to look I don't this think up. Is, actually, um, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I'm looking for now. Yeah. Uh, well, nevertheless, I mean, the, the point's the same. You know, like I, I, uh, I don't you know. Well, I, I don't think he would he would um, get as many votes uh, now, 2022, as he would have uh, 10 or 20 years ago, and. Um, you know, the, and again, I'm, I'm not He's saying not in. That, that the 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 warrior is a a slam dunk, even without some of this stuff. Um, but I do wonder if he didn't have um, as bad a reputation as he had of, of just being truly just a, a jerk, um, if it could help his case uh, more. But I'll I'll give up on that one. I don't think it's <laughs> happened. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, thanks so much, Brian. Uh, this is a, a lot of fun, uh, as always. Um, before you go, uh, uh, your, your book, actually, before we got on, I checked Amazon to see if I could buy it, and I still can't, not until April. So uh, what is the latest? People can pre-order your book now, right? Yeah, you can pre-order it for sure. And in fact, if you do pre-order it, I think the way it works is the people that pre-order, they get it first. So it's coming out April 12th officially. But, you know, as, as often goes with books, there's probably going to be copies floating around in the week i saw somebody that. in ah, yes, facebook Mr. or something holding yes, dave dynasty thank yes. you very much yeah. he gets one. so i want to be clear on that because i i gave him permission to post a picture this is dave dynasty and talk about how he got a copy and i already now have people saying well how come he got one and how do i get one and i just want to be clear i, I did not 
give him that book. That That is a review copy. It's not even the finished final, final version. We haven't even approved the cover yet. But that was a review copy that he requested directly from ECW Press for the purpose of review. And it says review copy right on the cover. And if you are an outlet or if you are a wrestling writer or reviewer or somebody with a podcast or whatever it is, you can do the same thing. You can, if you reach out to me, I'll give you the email address for the PR at ECW Press, and you can get a review copy. But uh, that was not a purchased copy, and I had nothing to do with it. But but those are probably probably in about a month from now, those are going to start floating around. So it's a good idea um, to pre-order for sure. In fact, today I just got the the finished cover, front and back for my approval so um i can tell you that it's not it's not yet published for sure because we don't even have a final cover yet but it's very close oh Oh, and by the way (laughs) it's called blood and fire the unbelievable real life story of wrestling's original chic and it is the first biography of the chic ed farhat so i want to be clear because i think we, we talk about it so much that for people that are just first time listening they may not know what book i'm talking about but yeah. it's the biography of the chic which i'm very proud of yeah and I, i'm excited about it i'm assured to uh buy a copy and put a couple bucks in your pocket um Thanks. so uh excited for that and uh the podcast launch the, the other podcast yeah, that's the other thing, too. This was a big day for me because I'm getting news on both fronts. So we've been in a holding pattern. I have a new podcast called Shut Up and Wrestle, which is going to be from the Arcadian Vanguard Network, which is the one people probably best know from the Jim Cornette podcast. Um, I promise to be a lot less controversial, but um, <laughs> it, it, it's an old school wrestling podcast. And um, we have been waiting now for a very long time because – Uh, When you're first launching it, you have to kind of get approval from Spotify and from Apple, uh, you know, podcasts and things, because those are that's really where you get the bulk of your traffic and places like that. So they have to just clear everything. So uh, I've had I have four of them in the can and I'm about to have a fifth one in the can. I've just been sort of waiting for the green light and it looks like we finally have it. So I think there's an announcement coming within the next couple of days, maybe even by the time this podcast that we're doing right now um, is posted about when it's going to debut and how you can subscribe. So uh, very, very soon. And it's called shut up and wrestle. I'm super proud. My first guest on it is Stu Sachs. And I've got um, interviews with Keith Elliott, Greenberg, the blue meanie um, Dave Brzezinski, who's kind of like the Detroit wrestling godfather. And I'm talking to Jeff Walton tomorrow, who was one of the key people in the in the Mike LaBelle Los Angeles wrestling promotion in the 70s. So, I mean, it, it's going to be that kind of a thing. If you're into historical wrestling stuff, this is going to be the podcast you want to listen to. It's like a dream project for me. Yeah, it sounds like an absolute blast. Uh, definitely going to tune in. All right, Brian, thank you so much. As always, I appreciate it. Uh, fans, we will be back soon. Mm-hmm.